You're listening to one of the sermons preached from Shalom Baptist Chapel, recorded at one of our worship services. Okay, good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, so I am not a speaker. I really am just a, a, a person that's saved by faith through grace. And, you know, I am just sharing the story that God has given me. So when I was asked to, will I be willing to come up and preach on this topic, I said, that's not my role um, in the church. And so I ha- I, that's why I invited Brother JF, who has blessed us. And I think in the last two weeks, he has said a lot more than I can really say a lot about many things. But today I'm here um, to share my story. Uh, it is actually something that I've never really shared because nobody has really ever asked. Uh, so this is really something quite new. And uh, hopefully you will be blessed um, by seeing... Uh, the glimpse of how amazing our God truly is, okay, and how He has really been so gracious to me and my family. So, um, here I'm trying to toggle a few things. Okay, wait, give me a second. <laughs> okay, so I titled this sharing lessons from Andrew, and Andrew is my brother, and um, I'll share a little bit how this um, title came about as well. So. Ah, there we go. Okay, so this is my family. I'm the oldest of four children, and I have two sisters who are number two and number four, and that's quite a dated picture because both of them live in the U.S., and the last time we were together, um, it was quite a number of years ago. So since then, there's another little one that has been added to the family as well. So my brother, Andrew, is the third in the family, and he was born when I was actually seven. Um, but, you know, at seven, you're old enough to know what is going on, but young enough to not fully comprehend and understand all the, uh, all the everything, right? Everything that adults are talking. Um, it was really only when I was older that I fully comprehended some of the struggles and challenges that my, fam- my parents faced in the early years. So my brother Andrew was born... <laughs> you you want to help me click? Maybe that might be easier. Thank you. Yeah, there we go. My brother Andrew was born with a cleft lip and a cleft palate. Um, and if you see them, you see this picture at the end, if you can see, and some extra digits on his finger. So when he was born, that was kind of like, you know, he was a happy and cheerful baby. And I remember, the only thing I remember was him having to be fed with a special bottle. And you can see that with my mom here. It has a little spoon attached to it um, because he couldn't suck because of um, his cleft lip and cleft palate. Uh, while that was not very common, all it would take was, you know, a surgery to correct the clefts, um, as well as to remove the extra digit on his hands. However, a few months after his birth, the doctors told my parents that something did not seem quite right. And uh, so they proceeded to conduct tests on him with my parents' permission, of course. Um, And it would have been the start of lots of tests and medical procedures that he would have had to undergo. I really don't know quite all that happened. All I knew was that he was in and out of hospitals a lot for surgeries and ongoing tests. Um, And at this time, he also started experiencing seizures. Uh, I really never knew what he was officially diagnosed with. Uh, We were always told it was this really, really long name, um, and we could never ever pronounce it, you know, (laughs) scientific name. (laughs) Uh, But with greater knowledge now, uh, we think that the diagnosis was actually inaccurate. Um, However, from my understanding and how I would describe if I was asked um, what my brother is diagnosed with, um, I would just say that he was born with a portion of his brain missing. And so that portion of his brain actually caused the cleft lip and palate uh, that was external, but uh, we didn't know that there were some internal needs as well. Um, However, with his birth, he brought the gift of disability to our family. When he was born, it really did not feel like a gift. Um, in fact, I only learned after the fact of um, how my mom was reprimanded by the elders for he, she enjoyed sewing, you know, and using scissors on her bed, causing the part of the brain to be cut out, you know, old wives' tales and all these fiction, right? Uh, and it also meant that we stayed home a lot due to frequent hospital stays and the difficulty and perhaps embarrassment of bringing my brother out. And it was just very challenging to have to bring lots of different things out. Um, However, they gave us really lots of time to spend indoors as a family. And my parents, by God's grace, always made me feel loved and cared for. Um, I never ever felt, you know, neglected 
or uh, not having my parents' love and all attention was on my brother. There was definitely more for him, but it never felt like I was not cared for. Um, at that young, young age, I really did not see my brother as having a disability, just that he was different, right? It was only when I was in my teens that I really started resenting and questioning why did I have a brother with disabilities? I stopped asking my friends over to my house for fear of embarrassment and I started to feel frustrated and angry over needing to be home all the time, you know, and not being able to go out with my friends. Why? The, always the reason was you need to stay home and care for your brother. Okay, and being the oldest, you know, that, that was my duty, my responsibility, it felt. Um, I then started questioning God, you know, and internally wrestling. Why God? Why, why did this happen? Why us? Ultimately, it was a why me question, right? And in trying to answer this and hearing what others were saying, I came to the conclusion that it was because God chose our family for a special purpose and that's why he gave us Andrew. And in my rationalization, in my understanding and my rationalization, it was because, you know, we were this great and special people that, you know, uh, that we were this super Christian, right? And it was obviously a far inaccurate understanding of God's truth, but that was what um, kept me going through those years in thinking that's why I had a brother with disability. Um, can we press the next one? Um, with the, this idea and this thought of this super Christian idea, you know, I started not to be embarrassed about my brother anymore, and I also realized in my late teens how he was actually quite a convenient excuse for not being able to attend or go to social gatherings. So instead of my parents saying, you know, you have to come home, I started saying, oh, I can't go because I need to go home to look after my brother, when actually sometimes that wasn't very true. <laughs> um, but fast forward to when I graduated from college and returned to Singapore, um, God really in his marvelous ways placed me at Grace Orchard School. It's a school for students with special needs. It was a type of school that I never ever imagined I would teach in. Um, and, it was a, and it's a school that I've been at for the past 15 years. It was really my introduction to special education and really a start of the Lord changing my eyes in view of disability. Uh, many asked me, was it because of my brother that I went into special education? No, actually, that was the opposite. I never wanted to go into special education because of my brother, um, but I stayed in special education and have been here because of him. Um, over the years, as I worked with the students and talked to parents and learned more about disability and special education, I really could not help but revisit that why question, the why God question. You know, in my mind, I knew that God was a God that did not make any mistakes and he's our creator. And in fact, in Exodus, we also see that he's the one who makes disability, right? Something that is often thought of, as we heard last week, as caused by sin or as bad. But it is stated clearly in scripture, as you see here on the screen, that God not only allows it, he actually also created it to a certain extent, right? He created all of us, including those with and without disabilities. So then my question to myself was, why then does God allow disability? There must be a reason for it. Yeah. And so as I dug into scripture in the last few years, really, and as I've reflected on my own experience, I came to these four reasons why. And these were the four reasons I shared during the workshop um, seminar time. And I will elaborate a little bit um, for today, okay? So the first reason is to bring him glory. Uh, John 9 verse 1 to 3 clearly tells us that God allowed for the man born blind so that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, when Jesus healed the man that was lowered through the roof by his four friends, actually, it's a very, very, very interesting thing to think about, especially we think about we're not the one with disabilities, but what did the four friends do? It's a really, really interesting passage to study um, because those, we are to be the four friends, right? Um, so the, the man that was lowered through the roof by his four friends, the response of the people was that they glorified God. And let's press the next slide. Yes, I think. And then one more. Okay, so I remember my ill-thought rationale of why I had a brother with disabilities. Remember that one where I said I thought I was this super Christian <laughs> and hence I was given this awesome privilege? Well, how wrong and really self-centered I was in thinking that because it really wasn't about me. It, was about, it wasn't about my family. It was really about him. It was really about God, the one who gives us life. So the first conclusion I came to, the reason why God allows for disability is that to bring him glory. Okay, to bring him glory. Okay, number two. It is to teach us to love. 
Now, this one was really a hard one for me and probably the biggest lesson that God needed to teach me and is still teaching me. And, pro and probably that's probably one of the reasons why I, you know, God gave me my brother to, to continue learning this lesson. You know, I tend to hang around and want to be friends with those who are more similar than me. Um, and there is nothing very inherently wrong with that, just that if it is at the expense of shutting other people out or internally thinking, you know, making judgments of others, right? Um, and those who are, especially to me, not easy to love, I kind of shun, then that's not right, right? Um, we see Jesus' example where he loved those whom others considered unlovable, right? He loved the harlot, the woman at the well, those who were sick with leprosy that everybody didn't want to be with, the beggars, the tax collectors, and the list could go on and on. And God's command is for us to love one another as he loved us. And it is only when we realize how much he loves us, dirty, wretched sinners, then we can love others, right? And um, this love really is not natural. It's not something that you would want to go do. Um, but it is supernatural. It is really in the realization of how vast God's love is for us. In sending his only son to take on the punishment of our sins, right? So that we can be counted righteous. And so that others see, so that we see others as God loves them and not how we would as human beings love them. Is it easy? It's definitely not. I mean, I still struggle with it, right? But what I try and do um, is to intentionally right now make time to engage with those who I would naturally not do so with. Um, I'm doing that so that I can practice what it is to love others even when I don't feel like I can. Um, it's still a struggle that I still face, but you know, in it is something that through my brother's through through seeing my brother's lens and through the the, the students that he's given me in school um, to help me to show to help me to understand this idea of love better. Okay, one other thing about love that we also want to think about is in First Corinthians chapter twelve. We are actually given an illustration of really how the church is like a body, right, and where each part has an important function and. We often think that those who are weaker are dispensable and those who are less presentable ought to be hidden away. Um, but God tells us the contrary, that each has a part, each has a place, and when one part suffers, the entire body suffers. So we know this is true in our human body when we hurt our toe, the smallest thing, our whole body hurts, correct? And um, that is true, but what about our church body? Um, as God tells us to love one another, even more so, it needs to be demonstrated in the church body, right? So the question to ask ourselves and the question I had to ask myself too is, how am I loving those whom God has given to us in our church body? You know that idea sometimes of me trying to like shunning those that I don't really so-called easy to love, right? I mean, there are those people everywhere, uh, including the church family, right? <laughs> uh, so, you know, the church that I attend is a little bit larger and there are a lot more people, a lot more personalities, a lot more um, people who I may feel not as connected to or not as... Uh, not not like me, and so my tendency sometimes is to, oh, let's just keep to the group that I'm comfortable with. Um, but God has tried to open my eyes to see what about those people who are at the corners, those people who typically people are not wanting to talk to. Um, they have an important function to play in the church as well. And as the church body, we are to love them, right? We are to rejoice with them, we are to suffer with them, um, and not just those who we like. Uh, yeah, and so that's been a challenge to me um, in learning to love others, not just outside of the church, but also within the church itself. So my brother really is my family, and just like I miss my parents when I'm away, I miss him too. Um, it's a little harder because I can't even WhatsApp him, you know, or video call him because he's not going to really respond to me through those things. Um, but one of the greatest ways he communicates is really in showing his love. And so not only have I learned, has the Lord opened my eyes to learn, teach me how to love through giving me my brother, someone who is different, very, very different from me, um, but he also has taught me to love through the act of my brother himself, right? Uh, he really, when I, when I think about it and, and I was preparing for this, 
um, I realized how much he truly loves in the way that's described in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, he really gives the best hugs and always has a smile on his face when he sees me, except, except when I'm leaving the house and he cannot go with me. <laughs> then he gets a little bit grumpy. <laughs> um, but, you know, he really loves without envying, without being arrogant. He really doesn't insist on his own way and he's the most patient and kind person and hardly ever irritable or kind. And um, Auntie Anita can testify to that So because she knows my family and she knows my brother. He's really just the most patient and kind person um, ever. And I think, you know, if you would talk about a demonstration of 1 Corinthians 13 love, he really demonstrates and ex exemplifies it in his way. So first is really to, you know, the first reason I, I, I came up with in terms of how the Lord has taught me why he has given and allowed for disability is to bring him glory. The second is to teach us to love. And the third one is to grow our faith. You know, we live by faith and not by sight as uh, Christians and as followers of Jesus. And when we think about faith, faith being the assurance of things hoped for and the substance of things not seen. Um, but then oftentimes we tend to measure and view things through our human eyes. We always revert back to the what can be seen instead of, um, you know, faith. And, 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 though, and through it, we will often fail to understand and comprehend because we simply can't. You know, God wants to help us, though, to understand how big He truly is and how finite we truly are. And he wants to mold us, right? So that we can be more like him. So that's why he allows us to go through sufferings and trials to test the genuineness of our faith. Um, one of the illustrations that stuck, stuck with me in terms of with regards to this idea of being tested, the testing of our genuineness of our faith is the illustration of, um, I don't know if you have heard of it before, but if you think of sufferings and trials as hot water and ourselves and our lives as tea bags. Right? What happens when you put the tea bag into hot water? It reveals the contents in it. Right? So if it's mint leaves in that tea bag, it's going to give you mint tea. If it's chrysanthemum flowers in the tea bag, it's going to give you chrysanthemum tea. Right? Um, if you want green tea and you put in a black tea bag, you are definitely not going to get green tea. Okay? Um, and so if we think about that, um, it is in that suffering, in that trial, in that hot water situation, if you think, it reveals what's inside of us, what we truly believe, what our faith is like, and instead of what we see by sight. Right? And, and that's one of the reasons why God continues to give us sufferings and trials, right? To test uh, the genuineness of our faith. One of the reasons, I would say. Okay. Um, if I were to ask us to raise our hands, if any of us have ever experienced suffering in this life, I don't think anyone would have their hands down, <laughs> right? However, the extent of suffering can be small, can be large, it can be short, it can be prolonged. Um, and I like what Elizabeth Elliot defines suffering as. She defines it as suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Not yet. No, very good. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at you, that's why. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so think about it, okay? Let me repeat His, her definition of suffering. Suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Okay? When we are suffering, at the point of suffering, it often seems that it's impossible to humanly bear. But yet it is through suffering that we actually get to taste God's goodness and faithfulness, isn't it? Right? It is through those times. And it is through those times we really realize how weak we truly are. And that's when God shows us his strength. Right? Um, my parents, because they're not here, <laughs> are humans just like any of us, so I can talk about them. They have made mistakes and they have grumbled at God, you know, and I've seen the struggles that they have faced. But yet, through each tough time, I really have seen how their faith in God has grown. Why? Because they have tasted, they have experienced what it means that His grace is sufficient. Sufficient, sufficient for that trial, sufficient for that suffering. And despite all the struggles and challenges and grief, and this grief is a cycle, you know, there will be times when it comes back up again. One of the hardest times I remember my mom sharing with me was when his friends at his age were going to NS because she knew that it hit her, that her son will never get to go to NS, right? Um, and so there are cycles of grief um, that they will go through. Um, and 
there are challenges, just like we heard GF sharing last week too, right? That there are tough days. Um, but they have never neglected to love all their children and provided for us, um, all four of us. They have never demanded from us to care for my, my brother, right? They have never stood in the way of our plans and our desires. Um, that's why both my sisters are in the US. Um, and I'm the only one here. They have never um, prevented me from doing what the Lord has called me to do. Uh, whether it is going overseas to study or doing any other thing that, you know, he, they know that that is God's will for me. Um, they have never stood in the way of our plans or desires. In fact, they encourage it, right? Then I asked where does their strength come from? And the only conclusion I could come think of is really that it comes from God, God alone. And there's no natural human way that that could be possible without God. And it is because of the faith that it has grown through the various circumstances that has happened. You think about it, um, they are in, my parents are both retirees in a sense, retiree age, but um, they don't get to experience retiree life uh, where they get to you know, do things all on their own because they have, a brother, they, they have a son to continue to care for, a son who needs constant, who, who, who needs uh, help just to feed himself, just to change, just to shower, um, and a, a son who will always constantly need their care, right? It's full-time care. Um, but have they grumbled about it? No, they have never grabbed about it. And they just take each day in stride, uh, knowing that God will provide every single um weigh every single strength that they will need. Okay, and number four. Another reason why God has probably given us people with disabilities to give us hope. In Romans 5, chapter 3 to 5, it says, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. Uh, this was a tough verse for me to understand until I was studying it last, last year really, really deeply. And I realized, you know, we, while we cannot understand why God allows for different people to experience different trials or types of suffering, right? Um, and interestingly, in our human minds, we tend to categorize this is a category of more suffering is harder than this category of suffering is less hard. Um, but suffering to everybody is suffering, right? Um, and there really isn't any kind of category because uh, a similar suffering for person A may be even harder for person B. And we really don't know, right? Um, I know that God allows those things to happen though for our good, right? And in our good, our good is his desire to make us more like him. Not our good in terms of having a good life. Not our good in terms of having a comfortable life. Um, our good is the is so that we can be more like him. So a few years ago, um, my care group at church was doing a Bible study and we were discussing this idea of suffering. And while preparing for the Bible study, I remember thinking about, you know, what are the things that I have suffered? And I really had a hard time thinking of a thing that I could say I really suffered for, right? Um, and then I thought about, you know, if it was the world viewing what I've been through in terms of my life, perhaps one, would, one thing they would say about suffering was that I had a brother with disability, okay? And that um, having a brother with disability is a suffering or a trial. And what was, uh, what was interesting was that I didn't think that was a suffering or a trial in my mind, but I didn't say it to anyone. And during the Bible study, my mom actually said the same thing. She actually said, you know, that uh, she, she actually shared that how the world may, may, may think that having a son with disability is a suffering or a trial, but to her, it wasn't a suffering or a trial. And this is after having emerged from many, many years of so-called supposed suffering and trial. Um, but there really, really, it, it really isn't, uh, like how JF puts it, that it is not bad. It's not a bad thing. It actually can be good, right? It's just that it can be hard as well. So while the world may really view this idea of disability as a suffering, it really, really isn't. There really are hard times, um, don't get me wrong, you know, the times when, when my brother is moaning and obviously in pain, but I cannot figure out where he's in pain and how we can help him. Um, it is also very frustrating when in the middle of the night, you smell a dirty diaper and you get him out of bed and change him. It's not fun, right? Um, it is also hurtful when you bring him out in the streets and people start staring and literally staring, like standing there and 
staring for the next, for at least a good five minutes, right? And pointing fingers. It's not fun. Um, it is not good. It's not, I mean, it's not something that we would enjoy and want for, for ourselves. Um, but yet to us, really, as a family, I can truly say he really is not a suffering. He really is not a child. He's really a gift through which God has allowed us to see his goodness, his faithfulness, and his all-sufficient grace. And I can stand here to testify of that only because I have seen it and I've experienced it myself. And really, it's through each difficult time, um, it is another opportunity for me to understand a little bit more of who my God is. And as I understand who my God is, I understand and see how temporal really the things of the world is. Um, and let's press to the next slide. And, you know, although eternal life, in a sense, starts from here, it continues forever into glory, right? And how our hope is really not in this world, but it's in the next. And one of the things, you know, that I'm looking forward to in the next is, when, and when we get to glory, is to hear my brother's voice. And actually to hear his story from his own words, you know, his own lips, um, rather than me sharing it on his behalf. Um, and, and that's what I'm excited. That's the hope that I have, right? Um, in spending time with eternity with the Lord. So although most of us will, I will, never, will either experience, you know, no, not so. But, you know, I have to tell you, all of us one day will experience disability in one way or another. Whether personally or with someone close to us. As we grow older, as we, you know, um, maybe even have a fall, uh, whether it's a temporal disability or not, um, we will face or we will um, experience disability. But remember that this suffering that is mentioned in this passage isn't about disability alone. So if you are suffering here today, I want to encourage you that really there is hope. There is hope because this world is not our home and what you're going through now is transient. It is so much more to look ahead to the glorious hope that awaits us and to remember that what we are experiencing now is a small blip of time um, in light of eternity. Although it seems, um, you know, forever right now, um, this is really not forever. Okay, this is really not forever. So I hope that encourages you in that light uh, if you are suffering here today. So the four reasons, you know, I thought about in terms of, and, and there might be more as I, as I learn more about you know, as the Lord continues to teach me. But I hope that as I share it with you, that something you can think about in terms of why does God allow for disability? Really, it's to bring Him glory, first and foremost. It is to teach us to love. It is to grow our faith. And it is to give us hope. Okay, and so in conclusion, let's go to the next slide. I love this picture. I think he's so cute. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't look like this anymore, right? Have you seen his adult picture? Um, you know, uh, this pastor, Pastor John Vaughn, uh, her, her, his daughter was burnt in a very bad accident. Uh, it was a, I think it was a fire in the church. And so his, her, his daughter acquired a disability um, after that fire. But he said this, that every child has everything to do God's will for his life. My brother has everything to do God's will for his life, and so do each one of you. You know, what will you do with what God has given you, whether it is your time, your intellect, your physical ability, your finances, other resources that God has given you, right? Who has God called you to love? The gift of disability that was given to me through my brother taught me really many life and spiritual lessons and continues to teach me that. So I decided, and actually I should show you him now. Yeah, let's go to the next slide. Yeah, so really my question to all of you, if God hasn't given you someone with a disability, who has he given you to love that you have been pushing away, that you have been, you know, this person is so hard to love. I'm going to, you know, not try and be with that person. Um, I had just come back from a year in the US and this was how my brother greeted me when I first saw him. Um, and this is how he shows his love. He doesn't know how to say anything. He can't say anything. The only what's coming out of his mouth is mama, 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 which <laughs> then I'll tease him and say, I'm not your mother. Okay, but, <laughs> but that's his way of saying, you know, of saying, and that's the only words that comes out. But he shows through his actions. You, show, you, you see just a glimpse of how much he loves. Um, and he has, through his life, taught me many, many spiritual lessons to a point where I started and I started 
chronicling it, or I started noting it and journaling it in what I call a Facebook page called Lessons with Andrew, hence the name of the sharing today. Uh, just very small snippets of life and for me also to remember and recall um, what God has and continues to teach me. And so you're welcome to come join in the learning with us and you know um, come and learn through um, his life because he is... Uh, he, just like you, has really everything to do God's will for his life. So we don't know what that is, but we do know that we can be, uh, we want to be counted faithful for it. So thank you for listening to my very short and sort of like haphazard sharing, but hopefully it is something that will give you some thoughts. Um, and, and later in the question and answer, we can have more time to talk. So thank you. Thank you, Esther. That was uh, very encouraging to listen to. Um, hi, if you don't know me already, my name is Yong Lun. I've been in this church for many years. Okay, he's working. Okay, I, I, I don't know. Any, actually, uh, maybe you go into the next slide. Uh, oh, I can do it. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. Um, I personally, I, I don't know many people with disability. Maybe about five years ago, but uh, I think due to my job and uh, due to who I've been interacting with, I've come across many people with disabilities and uh, interacted with many schools and as well as Esther's school. So I've been working in this. Uh, not 100%, but a little bit in this field for quite a while, supporting schools with arts programs. So, um, so okay, just want to share that uh, this is a choir that um, a group of us formed. Uh, it's called Harmony Community Choir. So, uh, uh, we really wanted to be very deliberate about this. So, it's actually Harmony and community. We want people to come together. All right. So my I titled this presentation as Inclusion in Progress because uh, it is still in progress and there is so much more to learn. So just sh share from Ephesians 2, 14. Okay, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, div the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access, and this is important, access to the Father by one spirit. So consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Okay, let's, let's move on first. Uh, okay, so um, I just want to introduce you uh, a, a term maybe not all of you are familiar with, but in the disability sector, it's called the post-18 cliff. It can be post-18 in Singapore, but in other countries, it could be called the disability cliff. Uh, for the obvious reason is that when a child, and I say when child child I mean, goes to school, and Singapore has compulsive education, which is great. So from school, when you transit to adulthood, there will be a cliff where all, most, a lot of services that are being provided in school um, um, will cease to exist. And so actually, there's nothing much for them. So I, I, I actually took um, from the parliament, Denise Poir, she actually says that uh, for education, there's this cliff effect phenomenon for SPED students. SPED means special education. It's well known. It refers to how services for SPED students drop to little or nothing after formal schooling. And also, there's one more point that I have learned from the parents is when your kids, right, you are very cute. Okay, you want to help, right? You want to help cute kids, right? But when they grow older, um, um, that's not the same. Actually, people will want to avoid because sometimes uh, uh, 
for some of my choir members, they'll hit their head on the floor or there will be bruises of blood here and there. And do you know what's the one thing that people who work in this um, uh, sector has to face is saliva. Okay, you all know, right? So there's a lot of saliva <laughs> because they do. Then who has cleaning up uh, people who are working with them? Okay. So for, um, so for us, there's a, a group of us, uh, a group of artists, administrators, me, and educators. Then we saw this great need for SPAT students who have graduated to actually continue engaging. And of course, we are, I'm, the, I'm the arts guy, so I'm, we do the arts. Could be through sports, could be through skills building. So also one... And also one of the main things we would like to achieve with this choir was the building of social and communication skills for them to really come together and talk, like how we do in church. And lastly, and participate in all the social activities and create meaningful relationships and stay community, connected to the community. Because um, a lot of parents have come back to me, those with special needs is after 18, if they are not enabled, if not able to work. And... Truth be told, the, the ones that actually go to work, they don't even work like full-time and they work a couple of hours. So most of the time, if they don't have things for them to be engaged with, they will watch TV or watch video on YouTube, or like students, right? But this is for life. They are doing this. Okay, next. Thanks. So, um, so in Jan 2019, we started this Harmony Community Choir. Of course, Jan, we started, but it took like maybe more than half a year to deliberate and ask for support. And thankfully, um, Gateway uh, Theatre actually gave us a space and actually we gathered all the volunteers. So what we actually seek to do is uh, we want to have a choir for adults or, or those who have graduated from school. We want to adopt a very inclusive approach and we want to accept everybody. So. No matter who you are, no matter, actually, a lot of parents will say, my child cannot sing. Then I actually say, it doesn't matter. Uh, okay, a lot of them cannot sing also. Some of them just can't even speak. So mumble, it's fine. As long as they enjoy themselves. So long-term engagement of, engagement of our members, we don't want to do it like, just do it one for one season, then that's it. We want to go on as long as we can. And that's very hard. So we need our prayers for that. So uh, we want to make it a very casual and a very relaxed kind of environment. It's not an environment of competition. There's no competition. We just want to get away together and have a good time. And of course, uh, participants, participant centric. So they are the forefront. We actually uh, do things uh, uh, in consideration of them. And last one, we are volunteer run. Uh, we don't collect any fees and and there, there is, uh, although there's no fees collected, but there are some good things about that because we sometimes can't control, okay? <laughs> if you understand what I mean. Uh. Because parents, hey, you must do this, you must do this. But you didn't pay, why you just come. So, so we control to volunteer, being volunteer run. Okay, thanks, thanks. So what do we do during sessions? Um, we sing and dance. We have guest conductors and maybe we look at the, video can we press the just click the yeah yes Ah, this is quite nice, right? It's a Hawaiian children's folk song. Okay, and we had a guest dancer who does hula. So we'll get these people to come in to engage. Okay. And secondly, I just term chats. So it's really for communication and socialization. So every time when in our choir, we find opportunities for them to speak among themselves because we just sing, there is no interaction. So much so that until now, these days, I think they have been, the choir members have been uh, uh, they talk a lot. 
if <laughs> before I start, they will keep talking to you. Then, then we train them to ask this question, you see. We ask them, you can ask, what have you eaten? What do you eat? What do you do? And things like that. So they have been learning how to communicate. Because people with autism, and there's quite, quite a few of them there, they, uh, communication is uh, not easy for them. And we make eye contact, or, which I also don't know whether it's necessary, but it's not uh, as natural for us, uh, as like for us. Okay? Um, so, and we get them to talk about, we got, uh, we got to do presentation, must do homework, and they'll talk about, nowadays, nowadays we are talking about your favourite place. So they talk about their place and where they like to go. Usually it's cinema, they want to watch movie and all that. And the last one is hone their musical skills. So we actually do exercises on music, harmony, rhythm, solfege, and their pitching. Next. Okay, so after six months of... Okay, uh, we only learned two songs uh, <laughs> in six months. And, and uh, this... this uh, it's not like a normal choir where, you, of course, you can do one session. You can this one you have to constantly work on it. And this is the first performance after six months. Prior to that, we didn't want them to go out and perform. So, so this is a Gateway's anniversary. Maybe you can click. It's a video also. As you can see, uh, the <laughs> the quality <laughs> of dancing and singing is not what we imagine. You see, uh... So people ask me, after six months, your standard still like that. But to us, it's a win, uh, because um, it's... Um, the engagement level is high, and that's our objective. All right, next please. So, I just want to share a few of the things that we have learned because since 2001, January to now. Um, so, regarding commitment, and this one I think uh, we, we all can learn, which is everybody has their seasons. So, during this season, they feel, oh, I'm on fire, I want to do a lot of things. And after that, they like, oh, maybe I want to take a break. So, as if you are the organizer, how will you feel? How will you feel? Ah, yeah, sien, right? That, that kind of thing, right? But after... This is also an opportunity for me to learn what God has put me into this position and also always to give somebody the opportunity to return in a loving way. Um, um, it's maybe this time you really can't commit. It's okay. It's always open and you can always come back. And people have gone and come back. And they don't feel pressured to stay here. Sometimes it's good. Okay, the next one is, um, secondly, that inclusion is actually takes a lot of effort, actually. Um, so among our leaders uh, in the choir, which actually have changed also, it's okay. But leaders, we also always want to constantly remind, say, hey, what is original intention? Okay, uh, to get them together to, for socialization. Or do you want them to go and perform and become very slick dancers, not really. So that's not our, our yeah. And, and also for inclusion-wise, inclusion actually is at every level. So this is one thing that I've learned. I might be leading this choir, but I would, maybe in the future, I don't lead. Somebody will lead. I need to include them in decision-making. I need to include them to be leaders as well. So, um, so it happens at every level. And the last one is, uh, this one, uh, spec teachers will know, uh, that is no one size fits all. I, see, I work with uh, people with autism for 10 years. I must be very good. No, every person is different. So you have to adjust according to their needs. So for success, right, for us, and this is very important, what kind of success do we want to have is we want increased com communication. You know, teachers always like, Wish. Don't talk. My one is like, please talk, talk, go ahead. But don't talk inappropriate things. Lah. Because like, I just share with you one funny thing. Uh, some of this, uh, because there are some volunteers, they're quite pretty. <laughs> then, the, then some of them will always ask, hey, where is she? Uh? Is she coming? Oh, I keep asking out throughout the whole session. 
so I, I just have a joke lah with Etta say, oh, maybe you gotta have a criteria. You're too pretty, you cannot join my choir. Right? <laughs> okay, so uh, secondly, what we've... Uh, success is also means that uh, we want to create a very authentic community with a very low barrier entry. In fact, hopefully no barrier entry. Currently, we do have barrier entry and I recognize that that those without computers, because we are doing Zoom now, they cannot access. That's one. Secondly, we will have the opportunity to engage people with muscular dystrophy. They are all in wheelchairs. Uh, but due to the location access, I also cannot include them. I want to, but yeah. So hopefully less of that in the future. Process-driven, high engagement of participants. I think you know what that means. And of, of course, we want to involve the siblings and parents into the choir as well. So um, maybe, okay. So this is the last slide. So we really need your prayers for our group. Uh, this is the uh, Zoom sessions. And, and the choir has grown actually quite significantly. And sometimes even better on Zoom because they now have the time to, don't need to travel as much. About Sometimes good days, we have 30 to 40 people. So um, usually they're about 20 plus people. And um, so we, we really need God's strength to sustain this because we do see the value in this and the uniqueness of such a group in Singapore. And of course, to show others how we can do things like that as well. And because of COVID-19, we are unable to meet. So... We need God's guidance on next steps, okay? I think everybody does need that guidance. And of course, uh, last one, we really want volunteers to come and help engage and lead. You, you don't know how to do this, it doesn't matter because I also don't know, so I just try, okay? So we knowing every individual and that sh should be the way, okay? Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you so much, both of you, for sharing. And uh, we will spend a bit of time, okay, uh, just to have some interaction, all right? So maybe I'll invite both of them again to come up, sit with me, <clears throat> and uh, we will do the job interview that Yong Lun was talking about. <laughs> okay, so um, yes, actually, we have some questions already. Okay, and for those of you who are watching online, you can uh, use the YouTube chat box if you want to uh, ask any question, right? And from the floor here, if you have as well, you can ask, okay? But let me just ask one or two that I already have, and uh, we can just, just talk, all right? So this is a talking session, all right? So maybe, <clears throat> and this question, maybe I think both of you can answer, and uh, the first question may be, how do we view or understand with regards to their salvation, uh, especially those who may not have the cognitive capacity to respond to the gospel? So how, uh, what, what are your thoughts? Okay, I guess I'll start. I think two thoughts came to mind. First of all, we've been talking actually about the inclusivity of the gospel, right? But at the same time, we know that there's the exclusivity of the gospel, which means that there's only one way of salvation, right? And we know it is only through, by grace through faith. And that is the exclusivity of the gospel. And that is something that we are told as Christians to share and to share with others. So one idea that we have to remember is there is that part of the gospel, and it is our duty to be sharing that gospel. To whom? To all, including those with disabilities. Um, whether, and it is our job to communicate as best we can uh, so that they understand. However, that's the, the other thing that I've been thinking about as well. It's the cognitive capacity and how much they understand or not. It's not our jobs. Um, ultimately, it is God who saves, and in any any salvation, in any salvation testimony of ours here in this space, with or without disabilities, we know that God works in amazing ways, right? And we don't know how God chooses to save, and that is where we have to understand the idea of sometimes us with our finite mind trying to understand an infinite God. Um, trying to put our minds and rationalize through a human experience, how salvation could come about for different people, including those with very low cognitive abilities. But yet, salvation is from God. 
And so it is not our job to understand or comprehend how a person can be saved, including these with disabilities. Our job is to share and it's to tell. And one of the most and most effective ways to share and tell is through our actions, isn't it? Through showing the love of the gospel. Um, and, and, and that's one of the most effective ways. Then the saving and, and, and what happens, it's really us praying that the Lord will work in these people's hearts. Um, and, and that's what I feel that, you know, sometimes we, we try and put, try and be God. We try and be God. <laughs> and, and that's when that complication comes about, when we really cannot understand, fully understand the mysteries of God. Um, and so we should just be faithful with what we have been given. Um, and how can we do it best? How can we do it better for the people who may not understand what we are saying verbally, um, whether it is with disabilities or even, you know, those people who we meet who don't speak our language, right? It's the same thing. Like, we can't communicate with them the gospel through words. How else do we then communicate the gospel? Yeah, that's my thoughts. Thank you. Any additional thoughts, Neolo? I think she said most of it. But I think um, through actions and through how you lead your life, uh, it will show the glory of God. So maybe we bear that in mind so, uh, and, and leave the rest to Him. Mm. Thank you. Uh, let's move on to the second one. Um, and that is, for those of us who may not have children or siblings with disabilities, how do we inculcate or develop a heart or empathy for them or even their family members. For those of us who may not have children or siblings with disabilities, how do we inculcate a heart or how do we inculcate empathy towards them or even their family members? Actually, I, I, I don't understand. It's, it's hard not to have empathy sometimes, you know. Uh, so um, maybe I think very practical tips is really to get involved in this sector and you will see and yeah and, and be included in the conversation i think singapore has this conversation that's ongoing and and and, and the access to this conversation is actually quite there so we can actually access this so yeah that's what i feel Sorry, I muted myself. Okay, I, my cheat sheet here now, because these are questions that came earlier, so I got to prepare a little bit, okay? I got to think through it. So I'm just going to do a straight talk here. I think, first of all, when we talk about disability, you know, uh, I think you can start, and you, you can say, um, I may not have children or siblings with disability, but if the WHO report is accurate, based on the 2011 WHO report, it says that 15% of the world's population lives with disability. So when I calculate that, it means one out of seven people. I think more of us, most of us know more than seven people. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that there are people with disabilities in your midst. These disabilities could be invisible. Okay, they may not talk about it as much. Or it could be hidden away that you really actually don't know, right? Um, and it could be that it could be that we are unconsciously ignoring it, actually. So in your community, even in your neighborhood, I am sure there is somebody with a disability. So if you're saying, hey, I don't have anyone with a disability to connect with, um, I think we can start by opening our eyes to see. Um, and when we do so, I am quite certain you will see a lot more people than you actually think that there are, okay? Um, that's one thing. I think the other question, though, with this question, is that this question of, inculcating empathy. Um, <laughs> so empathy, uh, definition based on the dictionary, is <laughs> that it is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. It doesn't require someone with disability to learn empathy. Actually, you just look within your family and when you have a disagreement, uh, are you practicing empathy? And that's a very good way to start practicing empathy. You really don't need someone with disability. Okay, so um, empathy really happens when you are willing to listen who you may otherwise not want to listen to, right? Or otherwise not hang around with. And so um, this idea is a little bit 
um, we, we just have to be careful because sometimes with the disability space, empathy could be translated or actually be disguising the idea of pity if we dig a little bit deeper. And uh, pity is really not something. Pity is saying that, oh, you poor thing, and we forget the idea that, hey, God made him this way for a reason. And remember, he has everything he has to do God's will for his life. And that's forgetting that. So we have to be careful that we don't move from empathy, covering a little bit of that pity, um, that, that we may, we may get, it may get entangled. Uh, so start, if you really want to start inculcating, inculcating empathy, yeah, really start from the home. I know I struggle with it sometimes. I don't understand why my mom does this, <laughs> right? And, and trying to understand uh, us, another person from another view. Yeah, it, go look at your workplaces. There are tons of colleagues that you really just don't understand why I do they think that way, <laughs> right? And you chuckle because you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... I think, um, in other words, I think the simple practical application to this question is, well, come join us, right? <laughs> come join us, and I think Yonglun's uh, choir is one platform. It's available for us to uh, be part of that, so thank you. Now, with that, saying, I think what Esther was saying uh, just now towards the end, and kind of connected to this question, and I thought it was quite interesting. <laughs> Why is it harder for us why is it harder for us to be inclusive of others who are not disabled? For example, people like you were saying, you know, of different race or religion, people with different personalities and preferences, people we dislike. And for us as Christians, what or how should we change or go about or respond to such attitude? I read up the question again. Why is it harder for us to be inclusive of others who are not disabled? For example, people with different race, religion, preferences, and so and so forth. And for us as Christians, what or how should we change or how should we go about responding to such attitude? <laughs> Although the next two Sundays, you will, you know. <laughs> yeah, freak yourself. What? What were you saying? Uh, next, <laughs> next two Sundays, uh, you maybe got a better, clearer idea oh, right. because of who's going to share. La. So, yeah. That's right. Okay, I think uh, really the basic reason is because we are too full of ourselves. La. Okay? <laughs> it is because we think too highly of ourselves and we think we have this, it's this superiority complex uh, that we think that we are better than these people. And hence, we feel that, hey, because I'm superior, they are beneath me, okay? Go and examine, examine yourselves. Really, I was thinking about it too, and I think it really stems from that. I think it stems from a false view of ourselves and who we truly are. So when we truly understand who we are in the sight of God, uh, that, you know, we, we have so much privileges here in Singapore, and I think that's what makes it worse. Um, that first of all, if you think about it, none of us here are actually Jews, right? So first of all, we are not even like the chosen race, okay? Um, but yet God chose to save us, and that's why we can be here as brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Um, and it is not because of who we are, how much we earn, how much we, you know, how, how, how many good things that we do uh, that we are safe, but it is we are safe by grace through faith in a mysterious way that we cannot understand why we are chosen. Um, and when we think about it, it's nothing that we deserved. Then we think about it in light of how we interact with people. Um, I know that I tend to shun those that are a little bit different from me because I sometimes may feel that they are inferior to me. Um, yeah, ha, you like. <laughs> but it's true. I think it is true. I think we start tend to think that I am better. Um, these people, you know, I, I, I can't communicate with them or they don't understand what I'm thinking or, you know, I have had this, this I have a better idea and actually, ultimately, it boils back down to me, myself and I. Lah. Um, when we are frustrated, it boils back down to when you ask yourself, why am I frustrated? Why am I annoyed by this person? It's because, most of the time, it's because you don't get what you think is the best and what you think is right. Um, and that's where I think our false sense of self um, is interfering with that, yeah. Thank you, yes. 
Uh, last two questions, one for each of you. First to Esther. How to have such faith to trust God like yours and your parents? How to have such faith? <laughs> I, think, I think it starts from the small. You know, faith is something that grows. It doesn't need to be enormous. It, it cannot be enormous at once. Um, as I mentioned, um, when you start tasting the goodness of God, it grows, it grows. Because you have seen in this small space how God has been faithful and how God has been good in a very small situation. Your confidence, you know, just like uh, when you try something new for, for once, let's say, okay, let's say because I see cars out there, driving a car, the first time you drive a car, you get a bit paranoid because you don't really have faith whether you can, whether the car will take your, you know, your instructions well, right? Or whether you can give it good instructions. But as you gain more confidence, uh, you can start driving faster. You can even start having conversations in the car as you're driving. Um, and I think it's the same thing in a very bad parallel, but if you get where I'm coming from, um, that it starts with something small. And in seeing and training our eyes to see the goodness of God in that situation, uh, your confidence in who God is grows. Um, and then as things continue, you continue seeing that goodness and faithfulness because sometimes you choose to find it. Sometimes God is so gracious that he allows you to see it, right? Um, that you then see things from that and, and that grows, that grows. Am I still, do I still struggle? Of course I do. There are days when I question and ask God many, many questions and things. And then that's when that, and then I sometimes, it's horrible if you're like me, I start spiraling into why, 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 and then it's like, <laughs> okay, why to like, to no end, and then I get into this, in a sense, like self-depressed state, right? Um, which then I, I then have to snap out of, and one of the biggest things is that reminder of, it's not about me, number one. Number two, really, this thing is so temporal. It's actually really very, very small. Sometimes you're so bogged down by the small things in life, but actually, it's really very small in light of eternity. So when you see the bigger picture, it helps to put things in perspective. It really does. Um, and, and so zoom out sometimes away and apart from myself, and that helps me to get a better perspective of life. Um, and, and I think, yeah, so it starts from the small. It starts from the small. A grain of seed that grows, right? So, yeah. Thank you. And uh, Yonglun, what inspired you? What inspired you for what you are doing? I think it, it comes in the context of, you know, for you, uh, not having any, for example, family members or, you know, close ones uh, with disability, but what inspired you to jump into this uh, thing that you are doing, you know, and, and yeah, how can you inspire all of us? Esther, Esther inspired me a bit. <laughs> She's like my, I, I ask her for, hey, you think what this can do, you know, and then she gives some, uh, usually very positive uh, encouragement. I, I just want to say that this one I think is a bit more, more successful things that we have started. I think we have started like quite a few other stuff la, like a string on Zom, a theatre group, which is actually quite, quite, doing quite well, playback group and all that. So, uh, I, what inspired me is when you're in touch and you see that, hey, maybe uh, I do something that uh, can really help. Then actually, hey, I just want to try. La. So, I think in the spirit of trying, and if I fail, which happens a lot, uh, it's fine, just to learn from it. But um, to really see that, oh, hey, you really have such a good, great impact. So every day uh, you see, oh, Thursday we are meeting for choir. They will send a lot of different messages like, okay, that means they really look forward to it. And it really appears so large in their lives. And for me, it's okay, like, that's one thing I do. So, so that gives me the encouragement to go on. Hopefully for a while more, <laughs> a long while more. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, and I hope uh, we, we, I think I'm sure there's so many things we can take from both of them, their sharings. And I think one simple thing is, yes, uh, be involved. I think be involved in each other's life, be involved in the community. That's what we are called for as a church as well. And I think in response, 
you know, I, I know there are some other questions, but because of time, uh, we'll take your questions and we will give it to both of them and uh, they will respond to you as well, okay? So that means their job is not done yet. <laughs> okay, no, sorry. <laughs> Just, all right. And uh, so in, in, in response to what you have heard today, uh, why don't you do this? I want to encourage all of us on-site, online. Uh, go check it out. Lessons with Andrew on the Facebook. I already did, all right? And amazing stories. and so inspiring. And I hope that you will uh, be inspired and support in whatever ways and pray for them. Plus, I think for Yonglun, uh, the Harmony Choir, uh, yes, they're having Zoom sessions. And if you want to be a part, involved. And by the way, if you notice in the picture... You saw someone else's face, right? Our church member? Who else? Who, who was that? Victor and David. Oh, Victor is also involved. Ah? I didn't Victor know Victor. David, like David. David, like. right? <laughs> yeah, they look like um, and Etta, uh, yeah. uh, No wonder they are brothers. <laughs> yeah, David is also involved and helping out, you know, uh, along with uh, Young uh, Lun. So, yes, anyone uh, can be a part of it. So, be involved. Just interact with them, and I think that's how God will use us to bless uh, the community as well, right? So with that, thank you very much to Esther and Yonglun for sharing with us and encouraging us, all right? Shall we give them a hand?